Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, I'm joined by Brett Hornig, Leah Yingling, and Mike McMonigle to recap the Bandera 100K weekend. This episode is broken up into roughly three 30-minute intervals. First, we reflect on our experience covering the race. Leah talks about on-the-ground reporting. Brett talks about being in studio commentating, and Mike talks about the photography angle. After that, we go into a discussion about ideas for future live streams, and in the last section, we offer our analysis of how everything played out in the men's and women's fields. But before we get started, this episode is brought to you by Rabbit. Use code SINGLETRACK30 before January 17th to get 30% off your next order there. After January 17th, use code SINGLETRACK20 for the remainder of the year to get 20% off all orders. With that, let's get started. All right, we are back with the usual suspects, Brett Hornig and Lee Yingling. Also pleased to add on another member of the team that is often with us in these great text threads, as well as in just many other avenues of communication. Mike McMonigle, many of you know him as at shit in the woods on Instagram. Mike, it's great to have you here today. What's up? Thanks, Finn. Excited to chat. For any folks that don't know you, although if we're going off of Instagram account, you probably have the biggest following out of all of us. <laughs> uh, what is your background in the sport and uh, what makes you love ultra running so much and want to give so much of your time and energy to it? Uh, yeah, just, I mean, I've been an ultra runner for like over a decade. I think 2010 was my first ultra and, uh, I've done a lot, dozens and dozens of ultras and a bunch of road marathons and everything before and during that time as well. Um, so running has been a really, really huge part of my life for a really long time. Um, that being said, maybe, maybe like two or three of those ultra marathons are, are like worth talking about. Um, <laughs> the rest are, are, are kind of lessons learned maybe that I could share actually. But, um, but yeah, just, it's been a huge passion for a really, really long time. Um, so many things have drawn me to it from, from just the exploration of, of kind of personal limits from the community from all the friendships and relationships that I've made. Uh, it's, it's really been the way that I've kind of socialized and, uh, and an avenue for, for the things I'm passionate about for, for 10 or 15 years now. And you're multifaceted too. Like you're not just a great runner. You're not just a veteran runner, but uh, you bring value on the creative side as a photographer. And when did that become a part of the equation? Um, it's been pretty steadily, I guess, becoming more and more uh, part of my life for the last, I don't know, five or six years, maybe. Like I, I always kind of liked taking pictures. Um, I always liked or enjoyed like consuming photography. Um and eventually I decided like, oh, maybe I just want to kind of learn how to get better at that. And, and so I think it was 2017 that I bought my first camera. Um, and then, I mean, now I look at the pictures that I took in 2017 that I thought were sick and, and like, I, they, they make me sick now. Uh, but like, I mean, I think that's really cool. It's just been something that and it's just been another kind of uh, kind of hobby and passion that I've that I've been able to explore and grow and, and just constantly be learning. And so, um, yeah, probably since 2017, it's really been accelerating. Well, I think you're one of the absolute best photographers in the sport. I think that that's not a controversial opinion. I think one of the things that makes you unique is obviously you have the athletic ability too, so you can get a lot of shots that a lot of other photographers aren't capable of getting, and it gives you this incredibly unique point of view. Um, so anyways, excited to have you on board because it may not be common knowledge that 
I think you'll also add a ton of value to the commentary in this episode because you're probably just as much a fan, if not a bigger fan than any of us are. So great to have you here. That's a high bar, but thanks, Fish. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's talk about something else now. <laughs> yeah, well, this is this is the Bandera 100K recap episode. I think that this was a super interesting weekend for all of us because it was a number of firsts. I mean, I think, Leah, as we were putting together the summary for this episode or the index for this episode, you said we should talk about the landscape of how to cover a race. And we have Mike's view from from photography. You were on the ground as, acting as sort of like a sideline reporter. Brett and I were in the studio. Um, and it's all very interesting. And I don't know, maybe Mike will come back to you in a second. But Leah, you were like the star of the show. People are calling you like the next greatest media person in our sport. Uh, I mean, and that's, again, it was just like the flood that we saw on Instagram and Twitter was awesome. So can you talk about what the experience was like, you know, being at aid stations, talking with runners, the finish line stuff, like take it wherever you want. Yeah. Um, man, I'm an introvert guys. And this is an introvert. Like <laughs> this is my biggest accomplishment in life, I think, because it was exhausting, so much hard work, but probably one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done. Um, and like, I think I would rather do that than run a race. I, I think I stand by that. I had more fun doing that than running Bandera 100K last year, I would say. And it had me oh, less. No, we just ruined Leah's running. <laughs> you guys are. Brett was scared about this. We were talking about this yesterday. <laughs> you guys are at fault. Um, yeah, I I think you guys can agree to this that like we like on our side of things, like we found out we were doing this less than a month ago, probably about three weeks or so. And like, there wasn't a ton of planning on our part going into it. We we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants and figuring out things on the run. Um, and I think the same could be said for like day of um, on the ground corresponding, like Aravapa running was um, kind enough to give us this opportunity to partner with them on this. And Tejas Trails, who run the Bandera 100K, um, let Aravapa do the media coverage for this event. So this is the first time that Bandera saw any media coverage um, from like of this respect, but also like any coverage period. Like in the past, I know yeah. you guys talked about it a lot on the live stream. All we had was a 50K timing split to go off of when tracking this race. Um, this year, it's brought it to the next level. And it was really cool to be a part of it. Um, that being said, like I met up with Jamil the day prior just to talk through some logistics and he just showed me the platform that we'd be using and everything. And like, we didn't really game plan much. And we said, we'll kind of figure it out as we go. So like morning of, I show up to the race 30 minutes before the start. And like, we take our first trek out to the Boyles aid station, which is mile six. And like, I kid you not, I mean, we learned so much on this day, but we had issues everywhere we went. And I think mm. the theme of the day was like rolling with the punches, learning on the fly and not getting stressed out because we knew things were going to be completely imperfect. And that's kind of what we wanted to produce and deliver to the world. So like huge props to Jamil. He is like the man behind the screen who doesn't say a word all day because he's just busy producing and he's super innovative and supportive of everything and everywhere we wanted to take this. But I mean, I, we, everything from a generator going down at aid station, number one, the second we're about to go live to me losing my phone at our first aid station <laughs> with like all my notes for the day and not having a phone for the whole entire first half of the race to a volunteer changing the Starlink password at our second aid station of the day. So we like 
couldn't hop on for the first 10 minutes to like everything, everything went wrong, but everything also went right. So it was an awesome day. And like, yeah, one of my favorite memories to date. I think I'll ask this to Brett and Mike as well when we talk about their roles in on the day. But and again, the whole live race coverage product is like a new thing in our sport. I would argue though that your role is probably the newest role in this whole product. What were the biggest lessons you took from this? Like when you went in, I'm sure you had an idea of like, this might work, this might not work. What seems to be like, how would you do this again the next time? This for me or for Mike? This is for Leah. <laughs> oh, this is for Leah. I, was tra- I, was tra- <laughs> I wasn't tracking either. I was like, this is for Mike. Um, <laughs> so what, what would I do differently? What were the things that you thought worked really well on the day? And what were the things that you would scrap for next oh, time? Okay. Yeah. Great. Great question. This is my question. That's why it's a great question. Um, things that worked super well. Um, I loved having to chat with people like that I had synergy with. Like you, you guys, like we talk, I mean, almost weekly right now. And like we have really good synergy and being able to just banter as we normally do on the podcast, like made it super easy to transition to being like an on the ground correspondent. And I will also say like the prep, like we do a lot of prep for those preview episodes. Um, and I yeah. think that prep like made it so easy to be an on the ground correspondent um, at a race like this. I think what is challenging is like identifying people. And I think that's where like the live stream chat really, and like the crowdsourcing really comes to shine yeah. is like, people out there like know so much about the runners that they're there to watch. And like, they just feed us information all day long that we can then leverage in our future commentary throughout the day. Um, So yeah, I think just like the synergy that we have is something that like I would never scrap because it works really well um, whenever there is the, like the opportunities for us to like be on together with me on the ground and everything. Um, I think areas that like we could really improve and I would love to see included is, I mean, more personnel to make it happen. So at Biondera, like all the aid station coverage, it was, it was me and Jamil. It was like Mm. me reporting on the race and like Jamil, poor guy probably has like muscles five times the size of his initial (laughs) muscles, but like he was balancing a laptop with one hand and then with a gimbal and a camera in his other. And like, he made me hold his the gimbal with the camera for like a minute on one occasion. And I was like, just absolutely dying trying to hold this thing. Um, so he put in just so much work, but it was, it was a lot. And having more personnel would make this like much easier, number one. But in terms of like covering the women of the sport, for example, like mm. I felt like from for the last like 15 to 20 miles of the race, we did not know what was really going on in the women's race very well. All we had was drone footage and like the very occasional like ID of their clothing, but we had no idea how it was transpiring. And we knew a little bit more about the men's race at that point, but I think having more personnel specifically dedicated to the women's race, to the men's race that were just dedicated to following that specific race would make it so Mm. much better and like more equal in terms of the quality of coverage too, because like Jamil and I had to make decisions throughout the day of like, okay, we're going to cut out these aid stations because we want to stay at Chapa so we can see the top 10 women come through. Um, So that was one of my big takeaways was just like needing not like a ton of more personnel, but just like two more people to just have equal and like more robust coverage throughout the day. Um, 
And then other things that uh, I think would really add value to the live stream is maybe having like one more person on video who's like not relying mm. on the Starlink at these aid stations that can upload really high quality video content um, yeah. right, af like right after we're done recording at an aid station, upload it to Twitter, upload it to you guys. So you guys can then show people in the live stream like this footage from Boyle's and you can see 20 runners rolling through and everybody can say like, hey, that's Chris. Like he's from Missouri, you know, things like that, where it's a more high quality opportunity for the crowd to provide us input. And like also for you guys to go back to like when my audio cuts out or my visuals bad, you have really high quality content that you can refer to. So those were like huge things that I took away that That's I would so love to improve on. Um, there's not a lot of things I would scrap. I mean, I think it was very scrappy. Everything we did was like super like low frills and we, like, we figured it out on the run. And I think, I think it worked. Um, it was, yeah, it was just awesome. That's so great to hear that the crews for all these runners had such a collaborative relationship with you where they would be just willingly giving up information on the runner and here's how they're feeling or here's who they are if you don't know who like their bib number and stuff and it's very interesting yeah that's actually now that i think about it that's one more thing i would want to do um i didn't like i would love to incorporate more crews and crews input on their runners like on the live stream so like talking to race day rick and seeing like you know jeff just rolled through here how do you think jeff looked and what did he want how did he feel like how has this race day experience been for you so far? Um, but like introvert Leah has a very, like I can say this in the comfort of my living room right now, but like me sticking a right microphone in somebody's face is like literally my worst nightmare. Um, so I, I think there's lots of areas for improvement there. I think I told Katie Asmith I needed her like, I needed like 10% of her energy at the finish line whenever I was on like hour 12 of race day corresponding. And I just needed somebody to like take the mic at the finish line and just go ham with it because it was an endeavor. One more question I want to ask you before I ask Brett about the studio experience. You mentioned having more personnel on the ground at a race like Bandera, which is, you know, relatively easy to travel around because it's a looped course. How many reporters like yourself would you recommend having on the ground to make it like a fully maximized, like see all parts of the race experience? I think in terms of reporters, like honestly, two to four is plenty two two or four yeah they yeah. had like there was a ton of drone pilots out there too but also like they don't have the expertise necessarily of the people in the sport like they're experts at drone piloting and nor should they be experts of ultra running you know that's our job um yeah. like so i think i think having a few more people who are like intelligent in the sport would go a very very long way and like make a little make it better for more equal coverage Brett, we also had a first experience this weekend uh, in the studio. And uh, I guess similar to Leah, I'll just throw it to you. Like, what was the experience like? And then what were, the, what were your biggest takeaways, your lessons from it all? It was, well, I think one of the most mind-blowing parts was like how dialed in the Aravipa studio is from kind of a production standpoint. Like, it, you, I mean, you walk into it and it looks kind of, it looks like a circus, but then when they kind of show you where everything is and like, this is what you're supposed to look at. These are the screens. And then like Matt, you know, is over there, you know, he was the one controlling all the camera angles and the, the YouTube live chat and, um, just all the work that goes into that. Like clearly they've practiced the live stream aspect. Um, and they're, you know, I think this was 
this was new for them because it was putting on a live stream for a race that, you know, they weren't putting on. Mm. Um, so there was some added, I don't know if limit, I don't think limitations is the right word. Um, just some added challenges that they were then having to actively work through as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, I really, I, I was so nervous before the, just before even like driving over there. I mean, I hardly slept at all the night before I woke up <laughs> hour before my alarm. It was just like the start of a race. I was like, this is horrible. <laughs> sweating sweating so much <laughs> and then you know like you know we're scheduled to go on i think we were supposed to go on at 11 45 and i like you know pop out of the studio to go to the bathroom grab something to drink come back and like fins fins on live i'm just like oh no <laughs> we didn't get to go on together <laughs> no i'm just i don't know what to do now i'm just, with my hands <laughs> i know that's how i felt except yeah so, so then it was like oh okay so this like schedule that we had right now, we're going to deviate from it a little bit. Like, okay, okay, that's fine. Um, but the other part that was, I guess, like, I mean, I kind of, we, we did this to ourselves. It's like, we showed up, I don't know, an hour and a half after the race already started because we weren't supposed to go on until the afternoon. So like, we didn't really get to see the process of them, like getting everything up and live for the first time. It was just like, we're there, we're now watching them commentate. And then they just hand us the headset and they're like, go. <laughs> yeah. Like, Okay, here it is. Um, but you know, one of the things that was super comfortable is even though it was live, it was still very similar to what we already do uh, in a lot of the podcasts we record. I mean, we had already talked for over an hour about Bandera. You know, that was kind of like the pre, you know, we created the study guide already for the race. And then, you know, having an additional week to add more notes to it. I mean, I think our, our Google doc was like 10 pages long with all the notes about the runners and just storylines and historical stats. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just ended up being really cool experience of being able to call a race. And like, that's something I had always thought of, like, even in like my high school and college track days, I was like, I'm going to call a track meet uh, one day. I think that would be really fun. And then that turned into trail. And I think, you know, even like a year ago, I said, I was like, I'm, I'm going to call one of these races someday. So, I mean, the fact that it got to happen was really, really cool. And like, not only that, but to be able to, you know, commentate on a Courtney DeWalter win and course record, I think like there's, there's not going to be many Courtney's in like our lifetime of trail running. So to be able to like be on the other side of the camera and like, call one of her finishes like so cool yeah yeah I think um something that I thought was kind of fun leading up to it in terms of prep is like when we do our race day preview episodes like we really should compile all our notes together when we do those but we don't we all have like our own <laughs> individual documents of our My bad, yes. like you know and I think that actually I we should keep doing it the way we do it because it's really fun and we don't then like share opinions very often. But I thought what was really fun is like when we did add all of our notes together was to see the commentary that wasn't brought up in the episode, like that we did record, but then also see like hmm. how our minds work and like where we all have like really similar opinions on certain things and like where there are similarities. And I think that like enables us to like go on a live stream and like have just back and forth uh, conversations about all the runners out there who like 
I mean, we have not met probably 90% of these runners, but like we could tell you their whole slew of ultra sign up results like right now. And like, yeah, Brett could mm. talk about like, like people running world records with strollers and like we couldn't, I couldn't tell you that. And like Finn has other notes in his spreadsheet that he couldn't share. So I think like all these different perspectives really lend an interesting light when you're coming at it from like, yeah, three different ways on the live commentary. That's a great point. And Leah, maybe I'll ask you this first. Did this experience make you more comfortable with, I'll say less preparation and just like thinking extemporaneously and on your feet? Like, do you feel more comfortable with that as a result of this experience? Yeah, I was telling Mike this. Um, I felt like my live commentating felt like the first time the three of us all recorded a podcast together where I was like nervous, not entirely comfortable yet, but like I was getting there. Whereas like our most recent episodes, it's like, oh yeah, old friends, like let's do this. Um, so I feel yeah. like by like the third time we do this, hopefully there is like a second and third time that like it will feel just as comfortable as we do like bantering on a podcast. Um, yeah, that was that was my big take. I still don't know what to do with my hands like out there. I just <laughs> had some pockets, which were nice, but like other times just I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> you got to You got to hold a pen. I need like even even though you're not That's writing, true. like it is good to hold you, something. You, you have like like I was holding a pen for most of the live stream, and like the only thing I ever wrote was a note to Matt that said I have. To <laughs> like that was the only thing I wrote. <laughs> I need a pen. Brett, one more thing I wanted to ask you about the in-studio experience. What do you think went well? What are the things that you want to keep for the future? And what are the things that you want to discard? Or I don't know, maybe you won't try them next time. Uh, the one, I guess the one like technical bit that I wish like those who were commentating live like knew was to be able to see in real time our volume levels. Because I don't talk that loud. Most people talk louder than me, actually. And it, it was it took like a handful of texts back and forth uh, between my wife who was watching to be like, you need to move the mic a little closer. Okay, a little bit more up, a little bit more. Okay, there, you're level with Finn. Um, but if we were able to just see our uh, decibel levels, like it, it was on the, the, the monitoring screen on the main camera, but it was you know, behind us. Um, that would have actually been really helpful in terms of like getting the commentating on the exact like normalized volume level. Mm. Um, that was like the biggest, like really technical part. Um, you know, there was talk of like, it would be really cool to see like a live ticker of the men's and women's top 10, that would have been which nice, is yeah. something that they would have been able to do had they also been the timing company. But, um, you know, Air Vipo is, I mean, they, they, I think they had their first meeting for this live stream idea in December. So December 15th. Uh, yeah. So like they didn't have much of it. They didn't have any more prep time than we did. Um, so they had no time to like write up a whole separate program to do the timing live but had it just been like you know black canyon for example where they have all the timing mats and they're in control of all of that that's something that they'd be able to you know put up on the screen no problem so it's like you know little things that can be added that you know the viewers might not know that it had already been thought of but just wasn't you know going to happen for this live stream um 
I don't know, Finn, what do you think? I feel like the like from the studio side, there wasn't there wasn't much. Oh, that was it. That was one other thing. There should have been actually none of so ev- everyone who wasn't talking on camera was watching the live stream from their computers and like monitoring the chat. Not a single one of us ever was listening to it. Yeah. That probably would have been helpful, actually. Yep. That's I yeah, I think I would have liked I was I could be in control of my mute, but there was often times where I could not be in control of my mute. I would have to like send a message to be unmuted. Um mm-hmm. and there were so many mm-hmm. times where like I just wanted to say like a sentence to you guys and I was stuck in this like mm-hmm. web of just like, oh but like I just Oh, I can't interject. Um, so I, I know it's like that's a complication with like on course, course, because it was so, so loud at the finish. Like, and I had one AirPod in because Jamil had the other one in. And like, I was holding it in my ear to try to like hear you guys better and just wanted to like correspond better. But I, yeah, like I was muted for a lot of it because my surroundings were just so loud. Um, so yeah, that was like something that I, I was thinking that was difficult and something I would have loved to be able to do, which I think is possible. We just weren't able to exactly do it on this live stream was for like me to keep talking over top of drone footage. Like I would have loved to be able yeah. to like keep commentating on Nicole Bitter in like the Prairie section going to Yaya aid station um, and just talk about where she was at. But like whenever we put mm-hmm. drone footage on it, like disabled my ability to speak. Um, so I think that would Okay, so you need like like a separate audio channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would separate from your video channel. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And like those are all things that can definitely be fixed. Yeah. I feel like what's unique about the ultra running live coverage experience is that it's not an asymmetric experience. And what I mean by that is like if you think about a football game, the announcers are just commentating on the game and there is no fan engagement back and forth with them because we had the live chat there was a chance for the fans to feel extremely involved and acknowledged and validated and i mean it it oftentimes came at my expense (laughs) making fun of my courtney pick which was totally well deserved (laughs) but it's super cool like the fans feel like they're truly invested in the experience and they're not just consuming they're actively participating and it was fun to spend a lot of the day testing that out. And I think that that could continue to work in future models. And we might even see more people turn up to the next few live coverages, knowing that when they show up, if they put some stuff in the comments, they could have a conversation starting. So that was super cool. And then I also like that Leah in this, I guess this would count for any sideline reporter, but Leah, you got to play a very major like focal point role in the broadcast. Like you got to spend it seemed like multiple times talking on the hour and in most like, you know, again, football, basketball, baseball, the sideline reporter hops in like once or twice a game and that's it. So it's cool that we got to turn those two models on their head. And this just felt like a more engaging experience for everybody involved. And so I don't know if you guys have thoughts there, but those two things stuck out to me. Yeah. I I, I wish it was my mom had texted me during the live stream and was like, you should put the microphone in the, one of the runners' faces when they're at the aid station and ask them how they're feeling. And I was like, I wish that was cool, mom, but like, I would freaking hate it if somebody did that to me. Um, because like, yeah, we want to know. How- maybe at a hundred miles. Yeah. <laughs> like, and maybe at a cruise stop. But like, yeah, because we want to know how the runners are actually feeling. And that's where I think there's the value. I engaged with a couple aid station volunteers and then um, 
uh, I think a crew member at one of the aid stations too. And it was actually really great because they had a lot of, um, I, they had a lot of content that I didn't have about the race description moving forward. Um, so being able to like, to do those things was really enlightening and helpful for me because like, yeah, there was times where on the first loop, um, we made it to every single aid station which is actually phenomenal. And I'm very proud of ourselves for doing that. It was yeah, that's amazing. no easy task. And we had like a hiccup at every single one. Um, gosh, the, the Wi-Fi hiccup was just the funniest because I think a volunteer had um, accidentally changed the password and had changed the password to like the auto-corrected version of the initial password. <laughs> oh, geez. We're like, that is just the funniest thing in our minds of like, you're just like, okay that's a good password. Okay. And so, yeah, we, we, nobody had known, like we didn't know what it was and we had to like guess for a while, but um, yeah, just experiencing those things uh, in real time. But yeah, we were able to be at all the aid stations on the first loop, which was incredible. But then we had to like pick and choose on the second loop. And it ended up when we only did like two aid stations on the second loop, we had a lot of downtime because when Courtney DeWalter's in a race and the rest of the women in the world are in the race, like, it ends up being like a pretty big gap for the women's race. And we were trying to stay through about the top 10 um, at each aid station. So there was a lot of downtime um, for like interacting with crew members and aid station people. And like, I think there's a lot of opportunity there that like, I know we all, all of us here have a lot of ideas for how we can improve live streams in the future, but like, yeah, yeah like, you know, having people call in and like having pe people featured from the live chat and just ways we can make it really fun because it's almost, yeah, it's engagement. And I think that's how we're going to bring more people to live streams is being able to like engage them in like a very participatory way. Mike, I'd love to bring you in on this. I feel like you probably have the most experience out of all of us here because this wasn't your first rodeo at Bandera, no pun intended. You <laughs> photographed multiple races. Like that joke. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Let's go. Um, but yeah, I, I'd love to get your take either on how you would like to see the sport evolve as it pertains to photographing races, or just your, any opinions you have on on the live coverage scene so far. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, just along along some of these threads that that you guys have been touching on, I think it's important to note that with Bandera, like that course specifically, is extremely amenable to live coverage if you have Starlinks. So like if there's cell service or if you can get internet connectivity, that course is extremely easily laid out for coverage. Um, and I think if you start talking about a point to point course or more, you know, courses where aid stations are further away, especially to get that kind of equitable coverage of both the men's and the women's races, it gets a lot harder. Right. And, and I think to like, I think Leah's point earlier, that's where having a bigger team is just really, really necessary. Um, and I think, you know, I think we saw like Dylan and Corinne and, and the team with, uh, with Western States do, do yeah. a, some huge strides with that last year being a point to point course with hard to access and a very spread out field. Um, but yeah, I think Bandera is a really, really cool kind of testing ground for this idea of like having an on field correspondent and, uh, and being in as many aid stations as possible. So there's probably a lot of like, it's, it's a, it's a really cool little testing, like proving ground. Um, and I'm interested to see like where this goes next for, you know, point to point like Black Canyon next month. Well, yeah, because like Mike and I were talking yesterday and we were trying to think back to like, you know, I Run Far has historically covered these races for us and they've provided like live tweeting coverage. Um, 
But like, and oftentimes with like a photo of that runner, whenever they're tweeting about that runner and like something Mike started doing, I think it was with Canyons 2021 when I ran it um, was mm. like, usually it was just following my race. And then somehow he garnered some amount of a following because he not only would he be posting about my race, but he'd be posting about the race that was unfolding in front of me in the race. So then people would start engaging with his Instagram stories where like he wasn't just like posting about where runners were in the race but like how they looked, how they were doing and like telling a story about, you know, yes. their trajectory and their progression. And that's where I think like the photography side of things really comes into play these days is less of that. This is where this p- person is in position, but like, this is how they look. This is how they got here. This is like where they're going and like what we expect to see from them. And just like making it a lot more of like a trajectory than just a person existing in space. I love what you said earlier too about how at certain points when Jamil had a break, he would get like gimbal footage or cell phone footage and then he'd post it to Twitter. I feel like what you just said there about the photography, it's a a full concert of content, right? Like you want the photos, you want the clips and you want the live coverage going at all times. It makes total sense. And like when you think about Bandera this weekend, and I know Mike can comment on this too, but like there was a lot of photographers out there like non-contracted for any anything like maybe they were selling some photos or selling some video content after the fact, but like Derek Lytle was there. Tony with the Sony was there. Mike was there. And like maybe a couple of them had some side projects that they are working on out of this event. But like those are person personnel who have like frequently run with cameras on a gimbal and get video content that like you could then upload later to like a stream like this. So even like leveraging like the really high quality, like professional photographers and videographers that we have in the sport in such a way that like, maximizes the live streams that we have i think it it really adds a lot one thing with bandera was uh like yeah i was often at the same aid station right around the same time that lee and jamil were there um and i wasn't always sure like can i talk to you leah jamil like can i give you some updates that i've learned in the meantime and like i wasn't really sure and that's kind of like to leah's point where she can't really she couldn't really like interject um or didn't really have control over that um i do think they're they're probably is room for a lot more kind of like on the ground insight. Um, I mean, like personally, I'm a lot of these aid stations, like I'm running out of the aid station quarter mile, sometimes half a mile with a lot of these lead runners, men and women. And sometimes I'm chatting with them. Sometimes I'm just observing them and taking as many pictures as I can, whatever. But like, I'm getting a lot of like getting a lot of feelings from them, sort of understanding what's going on in their mind. Some of them are talking to me and telling me like, they just came back out of a rut or like they're overcoming some fall and they're starting to feel better now, like whatever, get a lot of those insights that I would have loved to like be sharing with, with all of you guys uh, like live on the ground. And I wasn't really sure when I could, um, but that's one thing. And then the other thing is like, yeah, the high quality video content from the gimbal, like being able to upload that in close to real time, I think is, would be a really, really cool and valuable next step. Um, I also think like with photos, I mean, I think there's a lot that photography can do that video right now can't in terms of like really capturing emotion and capturing like some really raw parts of the experience. Like, yeah, yeah. You look at, I mean, look at the picture from Ryan Montgomery that I got like from, it was right before, right coming into Nacho's age station, like mile, I guess 46 or so probably. Um, And just like, just raw emotion that like, I, I, I don't think I could see that on like an iPhone gimbal phone footage. And like speaking of raw, like Brian 
curls Achilles like <laughs> at, at mile forty. Oh, I thought he was dude. wearing red socks and like brutal. Brutal. You look at the picture and it's just raw bloody like those kinds of things that like kind of just bring a little bit more of the sensation of the experience to the audience in, in as close to real time as possible, I think could be really cool contributions. And that makes me think, you know, and I feel like it's just a question of bandwidth and internet connection, but once we get to a point where Jamil can share his content with the team immediately, Leah can say that sentence to us in real time. You can share those photographs with us in real time. Uh, it allows us to tell the story more fully, the reporting more fully in real time, which is cool. Like a lot of the stuff we were talking about was on 10 second to even 10 minute delays just because of the Starlink capacity out there. I know. I was thinking about like how fast our banter is like on podcasts and things with our like good internet connections. And it was like, we all had to like get used to like just stalling for 10 seconds after we like told a joke or said something that we thought was funny. And like, there was nobody <laughs> laughing at it for 10 seconds. Damn. <laughs> that wasn't funny. I always feel like I have to, for whatever reason, yell when there's bad internet connection. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you think can anybody hear me <laughs> well i guess like uh like so jamil pointed something out that was really interesting to me was we had bad audio at um nacho's aid station the first time through and it was i guess it was really crackly and that was the time where we get got there oh yeah jamil's computer had di- his laptop had died at one aid station luckily he's a genius and has a second laptop and like multiple backup things so we had a new laptop with a different headset, but it wasn't ready. It wasn't set for the output and the input that we required at that time. So we just ended up like forgoing the entire headset and I was just talking into the laptop, which was so funny because I couldn't hear anything that you guys were saying, but I was just talking to this laptop. But I think that's when we had like really crackly audio, but like we saw like a huge Mm. dip in viewership because we had poor audio there. And we were commenting that like, poor audio is like loses so many more viewers than like poor video footage does. So like people are like really Mm -hmm. quick to like leave the experience because they can't hear anything. Whereas like they're, they'll just suffer through some like bad video because they're like, eh, this will improve. So I think like that was huge. He just sent me that I think yesterday or today. And that's a huge learning experience of like, oh, okay. In the future, the second there's bad audio, let's like go look at some footage from the first aid station. And then you guys can go and comment on how good, you know, Ryan Atkins looks as he rips his shirt off, you know? Yeah, yep, totally. <laughs> I had a lot of friends who were talking about, you know, um, you know, the, the way that they were watching the race was they had it on and they were listening and they were, you know, doing other things while the race was playing. And then depending on what we were saying, then they would tune hmm. in to the video. Um, you know, there was definitely like a diehard group that was, you know, in the live chat for, you know, the whole day, but, you know, watching the messages come through, I mean, it was probably, you know, 50 to a hundred people with, you know, like 15 people that were actively chatting the entire time. Mm. But at any given point, there is between a thousand and 1500 people watching. So there's a lot of people who are still just quietly either watching it or doing something and just listening. So that. I mean, that just goes into, you know, how important, like what we're saying and commentating on, uh, can do in regards to just keeping, uh, the viewership, you know, steady. Yeah. Oh, that's a, like Finn, that makes me think about like the tweet that you made today about like, who is this live stream for? And I would love yeah. to see, I want to see the people, I want to see the maximum hours watched of like, I want to see who that person is. 
Um, and I want to see those categories and like who falls into them. Um, because I think when Jamil and I had looked at the finish line, roughly, um, the average viewership was like 30 minutes that the, a unique viewer had watched it for, which is pretty cool. Mm, Like, like my mom's up there out there, like watch. I think my mom watched for like a solid, like five hours at least. My aunt, my aunt watched all day as she was cleaning her house. (laughs) And like, I wasn't even participating in this race. Um, and like people came out of this with like, favorite people at the end of the day that they had never known yeah we're we're creating fans yeah. of the sport that's what's up yeah that's 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 really cool i'm looking at the youtube uh surface analytics right now for the live stream which has been posted we'll put it in the uh, show notes Thirty-one thousand unique viewers so and that can mean anything it can mean 20 seconds to 10 hours but that's cool sounds like a big number i've never counted that high before You've never mapped that high before <laughs> so No, never math that high. Quick break to give you another discount code. This episode is also brought to you by HVMN. Back in October 2022, I was introduced to exogenous ketones at the Havelina 100, and after some testing, they became a part of my daily routine to support energy and focus, and I've even started using them in the middle of long runs to support endurance and recovery. In 2023, My nutrition plan will be both high-carb and high-ketone, and for the latter, HVMN will be my product of choice. If you're interested in trying them out yourself, use code SINGLETRACK20 for 20% off your next order there. And with that, let's get back to the conversation. Before we uh, talk about like just notes from the women's field and the men's field races, I think it was Mike that put this in our group chat that got me all stoked. Brett, you started going down the rabbit hole with them too about this whole like sound running thing and the impact on increased media attention for athletes via the live stream. Mike, you want to set the table for this discussion? Like what your thoughts here? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, uh, yeah. So like your question that you post on Twitter, Finn, about what does like, what does this live stream capability do for the sport and who is it for? I think one of the big groups that it can be for is, is for the athletes and, um, I mean, sound running does so many just amazing things in, in like the track and field and, and professional like road and track running community, um, that I really think we could kind of bleed over and, and take a lot of notes from for the ultra running and trail running community. Um, and one of those that I think live stream sort of enables the most would be like, so sound running has, uh, they do this at least once a year. I think, I think it's with the 10, like their, their professional 10 K that they do where it's like a pay-per-view, but the, the cost and it's maybe like a few dollars just to tune in live and watch the race, um, which is a stacked race with a bunch of really big names and it's really competitive and it's like record watch and all that. Um, it might only cost a few dollars to, to pay to, to view the race live, but that revenue goes straight to a prize purse. And so the more people watch, the bigger the prize purse is and that prize purse gets split among the winners um, or maybe the podiums, you know, I don't know the details, but we could do something like that with ultra running. And like, I'm just imagining like Bandera or maybe like Black Canyon. I don't know how quickly this could happen, but maybe it's a donation link. Um, and it's basically crowdsourcing uh, prize money that maybe gets distributed e- evenly among like, you know, male and female podiums. Um it's a way to kind of build that fandom, you know, build the following, get people a little bit more invested in it. Um, and then, yeah, we were talking in our group chat, like imagine, you know, imagine uh, Jeff Colt, like, you know, comes into Nacho's aid station at mile 46 and he's, you know, like tied with, with 
JP uh, in the lead and they and they learn right there at Nacho's A station, like, hey guys, like the price purse right now is at $1,500. And then, you know, they're duking it out. Uh, that might light a little bit of a fire. They start fighting a little harder. Jeff comes in to, yeah. to chop us four miles later, you know, 10 miles to go in the race. And we're like, Jeff, the prize versus says like three grand right now. Let's go. I mean, it could add so many different elements to like the excitement on, on the fan side, on the spectator side. And um, obviously just give back and, and make another way to, to, to for the athletes to, to kind of earn something for their performances. Yeah, I think, yeah, Mike bringing up the, the sound running meets. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a cool business model because yeah, there, there's, there's like no money in trail, but it's, it's increasing a little bit. Same with track, you know, like the money in track and field is trash unless you're the, you know, top few in your event, which is just not that many people. So for everyone else out there, you know, they're training, you know, as hard as they can, you know, it's a full-time job for them to go to a track meet where most of these track meets that aren't USA's, you know, the trials, the Olympics, most of those meets have no money for winning. You're simply going because you're trying to either beat someone to increase your ranking or you're trying to hit a time, but you end up spending money for that. And sound running was like, we, we got to be able to change this. So, um, you know, so yeah. So with their business model being like, you know, this is how much our, you know, this is how much it costs to produce the meat. Like, you know, we have four employees on staff. Everyone else is volunteers. It costs this much money. So therefore like, yeah, like Mike said, like of the $6 for your pay-per-view, $4 and 25 cents are going to go to the prize purses for all the events. Um, I don't know if I, th- I don't think we have to, like, I don't think we should exactly take that business model. Like we were saying, like, I don't know if these streams should be like a pay-per-view, but more so they're long enough where they can be free to watch, but their races, I mean, the race, what, how long was our stream going on for 10, like, hours. 10 hours, 11 hours? Yeah. T- that's plenty of time for someone to decide, oh, this coverage is great. You know, I want to support the athletes in this race. Um, now that I'm like getting to watch it with my eyes for the first time, I'm going to donate a couple bucks to the prize purse. And then, you know, if we had a little ticker of like the fan fan money yeah. going towards, you know, just the overall prize that, that wouldn't, I mean, that wouldn't, that would raise the entire sport so many levels. And then, and then I was just like thinking while you were talking about that, Mike, if all of a sudden, like say Bandera, this race that, only ever had one timing mat at 50 K now, all of a sudden on paper, it checks all the boxes for like, what should be a, a, an awesome race to watch as a fan, you know, from a computer or from your TV, because it's like the, it's easy to get to the aid stations. Um, you know, we'll only be able to expand the internet coverage. You know, that's only going to get better. Um, you get to see, you know, two loops. The, the you know the viewers get to get more familiar with the course. Um, what if you know all of that just increases and like turns a race or any of these races into like huge major events? Now there's big incentive for the brands who are sponsoring these runners mm. to push their runners to go to these races. Like I, I could see not just the the money there, but just the increased viewership. Um, yeah. Just like the same reason why everyone needs to go to UTMB. Like that could be more than just UTMB. Oh, that's a good point too. Cause like the two ideas that just come to mind is like something Mike brought up, which is like showcasing these 
unsponsored runners or like runner, like for example, like a lot of runners who are very competitive on the East coast often argue, like, how do I get noticed when I'm competing very well in my East coast races? And the rebuttal is usually you need to put yourself into these more competitive environments and perform well, like in a golden ticket race, in a world's qualifier, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so like these live streams are an opportunity to like bring names out that like we wouldn't otherwise be familiar with and like really put them on like this national stage. For example, like, I mean, when the first slew of runners came through Boyles, it was two groups of 10 men. And I was like, who the heck are these people? Yeah. All I knew is like John Kelly wasn't wearing a shirt and that was it. Like he was the one shirtless man. I was like, okay, got that one. Not and then long. not for long. Then there was Canyon Woodward and Ryan Atkins. Yeah. I was like, holy crap, too many shirtless men. But like, then it was like, okay, there was a guy from Missouri, Chris, um, who performed in the top 10. I think he ended up getting 10th place overall. Um, that like, we had trouble IDing at first because like we weren't really familiar with him, but then he went on to have, yeah, great day, top 10, awesome race. And like, this is an opportunity to showcase runners who otherwise like aren't sponsored, don't get coverage, like don't really get any attention, but yeah, there they are in front of 30,000 viewers. That's awesome. And then on the brand side of things, like how many times were like me and Jamil zooming into people's shoes that day and being like, Ooh, what are they wearing? And like, yeah, then Brett's calling out exactly what they're wearing on this like low quality video from Phoenix, Arizona. And we're in Texas. Like that's cool. And so brands can use that as an opportunity to like, yeah, even showcase their products on their athletes too. So yeah, I feel like it's a win-win at the end of the day for like both brands and then also runners who are like trying to make a profession out of it. I think that Mike's photography also achieves this, but you know, via the live coverage, how many new names, and this is building off what you said, Leah, but like how many new names did we learn from this race or names that we kind of knew, but now we know a lot like Kenny Woodward and Ryan Atkins and Cassie M and Cat Short. Uh, super cool. Um, yeah, that was yeah. like something I wanted to, like, I, I'm sure we'll touch on. I'm, we've also been talking for a long time, but like, just like the amount of people that like we did not discuss in our preview episode that I was like, holy crap, I'm sorry. You're sorry, amazing. Um, yeah. Hopefully I threw enough stats true. out there this weekend to make up for my oversight. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, Bandera is a pretty stacked race all around, like with lots of like very interesting talent. And like, I think in the men's race, like we were chatting about this all weekend, like it was anybody's ball game, which made it a really, really fun and dynamic race to follow. Like from start when the, I had 20 people rolling through boils at the exact same time to finish whenever, like we didn't know if like Jeff Colt or JP Giblin was going to come out on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about this accepting Collins idea on the live chat? What do you guys think? I have no idea what you're talking about. I think it could, I, I feel like they, they need to be planned. Actually, before I forget this thought though, one thing that could be added that we, that Finn, you had actually mentioned before, um, for the media people leading into a race is if there was like, if we crowdsourced to the actual individual runners, who they are, yeah. who their sponsors are, where they're from, yep. like if, if, if basically like, I, I think like Western States kind of does it with their top elites, like broken arrow actually does it. And it's mostly for the announcer at the finish line. But if basically everyone who is in the elite field got sent just a little questionnaire for us and, you know, and it could even be questions like freaking like, what kit are you wearing on race day? You know, like what shoes are you wearing on race day? You know, and then like, who are you? Where are you from? All that stuff. Like 
it would be way easier if we didn't have to find all that information. Yep. And it was just a part of, you know, the athlete signing up for the race and competing for a golden ticket. You just, as a part of the sport and mm -hmm. as it grows, like this is your opportunity to give the announcers a lot of things to work with. So totally. Yeah. And like fill out what's this your number, paper, you know, like I, trading cards, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we could do trading cards. That NFTs. Yeah, Finn, I feel like you brought this up on like a run that like me, you, and Mike did like last year, where you said it's, it should be called like Ultra Box instead of Dropbox, but Ultra Box, where you just like throw in all of your yeah. like your headshots, your race results. Like, hopefully, like we can maybe we can be assigned bib numbers earlier than like night before the race. That's huge. So I know we can know like we can have a list one through one hundred of like who the heck these runners are. Because like I think the way we did it was um, like I assigned them morning of uh, from the information that I had onto a sheet that we like wasn't alphabetized or like numerically ordered at that given point in time. So like I think when I saw bib number, I'd like scroll down my sheet trying to find like where's forty two or like where's twenty two. Yep. Who is twenty two? Maybe, maybe we just yeah. First totally. time you ever run an ultra, you get assigned like a serial number, and that that number just follows you for every ultra you ever run. So you have the same big number every time. It's like seven digits time. long. It's like you're <laughs> well. That's you're that's the that's the UTMB barcode. Right there. <laughs> your social security number. Just like put it on my forehead. <laughs> Scan. Brett, one thing you said in our text thread that I I don't want to leave unacknowledged. I think you just. Uh -oh. texted out what if ultra running becomes the ultimate fan engagement experience and i think that that was a great thought because yes i can totally see why the average person might not be like absolutely stoked when they see our product because it, i mean it does take some initiation to appreciate like watching ultra running but i think there are a lot of things that we can do to hook people like through this live coverage that we've talked about here which i think you, you summarized well yeah definitely i mean just the ability to interact with the people that are actually watching this race is so special and so unique um, because we get to, you know, we get to call them out by name on the chat, you know, just like, Hey, Finn, Arlen Glick, like congrats on signing your deal with craft, by the way, Arlen just roasted the shit out of you. And that's incredible. Like, that so happened awesome. a yeah, lot on the live stream. Like I'm not even making Wait, that. Like up. so, the live stream like, is that like was incredible. the live stream is Arlen's social media. That's all he's got. Yeah. yeah. Go. So that's his opportunity. To just yeah, we were. Yeah, we were wondering about that. We we're like, so like, it's technically not your social media page, but you can like hop in, and then he can just totally disco. I'm like, this is the perfect. This is this is perfect. Like intro for Arlen. <laughs> I was nice enough not to call out Arlen for breaking his vow of social media silence. No, the, as of right now, YouTube live stream chat does not count as social okay. media because I, I don't want him to disappear from them because <laughs> his commentating and his takes were great and they were hilarious and good. they absolutely added value to the live stream. That's the other cool thing too is fans of the sport are in the same live stream that Billy Yang, you know, Corinne Malcolm, uh, Arlen Glick, like they, they're, their you know, messages are coming up right next to them. And, you know, Corinne was even pulling from the live chat and like, you know, tagging people and replying to their questions there. So like, yeah, the, the fan engagement, it's such a unique thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean that it could be improved upon even more. I mean, they, 
Aravipa does a you know cool thing where if like something really funny gets thrown up in the live chat, you know they pin it to the yeah. screen for a little while um, before moving on to the next thing. And like that's just a little. Sometimes they sense like, that, that would be so fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Some questions. Yeah, gotta have good usernames. Um, something that made me like there's two things there is um, like one is like a lot of people are watching this as a fan of a runner. Like let's say an aunt, a mom, a grandma is watching the live stream. Like they're they want to say like good luck to this runner. Like I argue that like you could donate a dollar for your good luck wish to show up along yeah. the bottom of the live mm-hmm. stream, and like that dollar can be like donated to like an organization, the prize purse, like you know the runner that you're wishing good luck, etc. And like I think that's a good way to like also monetize these things or like reward the runners who are out there. Um, yeah, I think that part's really cool. I had another thought, but it escaped me. Well, that reminds me, Leah. Um, and we saw this happen infrequently, but I, I want to say Aravipa made about $50 to $100 on the day just by in-chat donations. So like every two or three hours, you would see someone say like, hey team, great job on the coverage. And they would donate like five bucks and you'd see like the dollar sign mm-hmm. and who donated it. That's really cool. And so the tech's already there. Yeah. If we want to like pivot this to like athletes or some cool gambling system it's there it's all about, yeah. yeah it's it's natively built into youtube even better yeah yeah, yeah I, I know that's the next big step is you know uh sponsored by DraftKings, like mid-race gambling like all bets are closed at the end of the like, first yeah lap. who gets to mile 50 first oh, is it like jp giblin or is it jeff colt like put your bets on it and then at mile 50 like money just flies well yeah like when we saw Nicole Bitter overtake second place, I the, in the back of my mind was like, "That's a great betting moment right there." Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool! Um, yeah, I wish I could have been in the live stream. That was something that like I had major FOMO for. Is like when I'm watching a race, I love to be in the live stream, whether I'm like participating or just like lurking. That's in one of chat. yeah, just one of my favorite ways to spend the day. And like, I, yeah, I wasn't able to like see the live the live stream chat at all during the day. And that would have been nice because that's also like an opportunity for feedback too, for somebody commentating that mm-hmm. like what is working and what isn't. And I'd love to like roll with feedback rather than like learn it all afterwards and then like mold our next step after the, after that. I am really glad that we did at least have like an internal WhatsApp group chat that, you know, cause like you were connected to the Starlink with your phone because there was a lot of times where like, someone would go by and I was trying to like write down the name and the split. And like, I could go back and just like text the group. And you know, I mean, every a hundred percent of the time it was you texting back with the <laughs> names, bib numbers times, but that was so helpful to have an additional line of communication that wasn't through the live stream. Yes. And like um, something yeah, just one of you two did was then like record that like in a format that was, you could return to it later. So like at Boyle's aid station, we had, because there wasn't live track, like imagine like Havelina Black Canyon, that'd be a different story because you can go back to the actual rankings. Mm -hmm. But for Bandera, we did not have any live rankings of who was where on the timing system. So like one of you guys had like started keeping track of one, two, three, four, five. So then like you could be commenting and be like, okay, yeah, at Choppa's aid station on the last go through, it was, you know, this person, this person, this person. And then, we could return to that rather than being like, I think it was this person that was helpful. Mm. Yep. Totally. 
Before we talk about just like our final takeaways from the men's and the women's races, do you guys have any other final thoughts on just like ideas about the live coverage or just memories, moments from the day? I hope we get to do it again. Yeah, Me too. Yeah, Brett and I had a really, had a lot Brett and I had a really good moment out there where um, Catherine Short she um, she was at the equestrian aid station and she was she had Gatorade and like man you just don't see Gatorade a lot around very often and I was like no, that's old school I was like oh I was like Catherine Short is pulling the Gatorade right now I was like oh this is interesting it's my favorite flavor it's um, like cucumber lime and what did you say? I just yelled. I was just like, "Oh, limon pepino!" Because <laughs> it's it's like the it's like the only Gatorade flavor that has both flavors, like in English and Spanish, on every single one. So I I think the first time I ever bought it, you know, the bottle was flipped around to the Spanish side, so then it said limon pepino. So I was like, "Oh, that's just the flavor name. I don't know what that is." Um, so then that's just what I've always called it, and I I I I never even met anyone. Who's ever even tried limon? Oh, you know, flavor before. Well, like we always get it. It's, an, it's well. the most underrated flavor. Well, and the funny thing is, like I don't even call it like cucumber <laughs> lime. I like we've been getting it for years after like long runs, and we call it limino pepino, which is not even the accurate Spanish name <laughs> yeah. for it. But, like every t- <laughs> sounds Italian. <laughs> and I was gonna call it out as limino pepino. <laughs> And I was like, nobody's going to understand this. I'll just call it cucumber lime. And then Brett just comes out of left field with like the exact Spanish name for it. And I was like, okay, yeah, we've got a good thing going, the three of us. Didn't you guys have like the same exact Western States plan too? Something like that. Yeah, but one of us stuck to it and one of us didn't. (laughs) Yeah, you totally deviated from your plan. You know, it said in there, blow up at devil's thumb and you did not i did i stuck to the plan oh my god quick break to give you one last discount code this episode is also brought to you by gnarly nutrition use code singletrack20 at checkout for 20 percent off your next order there mike what were some of your favorite takeaways or just most interesting storylines from the men's race I think um, I think like we kind of started to talk about earlier, it was just such. I mean, doing fantasy picks for this race was so hard. I think both on the men's and the women's side. I think on the men's side, I mean, there was at least like 10, 10 men in that in that starting list that I knew of that like on a good day could win this race, um, and then probably a couple others that weren't even in maybe the, my 10 that I was thinking about ended up leading the race halfway through or, 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 you know, by, you know, in the second half. And I thought that was a really cool, it was a really fun, like kind of dynamic race to watch. Um, yeah. To watch unfold. I think like, I think Chris Myers, he kind of stood out to me um, for, for running a really, really mature first hundred K being like, I think pretty junior in his ultra running career, obviously a guy with some wheels, like some really, really fast and impressive performances in 2022. Um, I think a lot of us were interested to see what he would do. I think a lot of people probably expected to see him kind of gun it off the front. And he, mm. he very much did not do that. Um, and we saw him work his way up. Uh, he was one of the, like I ran with him for maybe a half mile or so out of Chapas um, on the second lap, like mile 52 or whatever, 10 miles to go. And like, my dude was cruising at, like I thought he was going to win at that point. Like I honestly thought he was going to go past everybody in front oh, wow. of him and like close those gaps. Um, of course I was wrong about that, which just, again, speaks to like 
the strength of this field um, without there being any like runaway favorites going into it. Yeah. On that note too, I just remember everybody. So equestrian was like mile 40 ish. They had like 20 miles to go. And I just remember live commentating there on the men's race. Nobody looked bad until like maybe right around. Like we kept asking. Yeah. Right around like when ninth place, maybe rolled through 10th place, like the top seven, like I wish I could have been, I wish I would have could have said somebody looked bad, but like nobody did. And I feel like we've talked about this a lot on some of our podcasts recently, but like people aren't blowing up as much anymore. Yes, some people are, but Mm. like people are running stronger, longer in these races and it's showing because like they're holding people off, there's less carnage and they're just holding on to a strong pace for way longer than I would expect. And I think one of my big takeaways from the race was just like, the men ran way smarter than like I usually give them credit for. I think men usually run with their egos and like run way hot mm-hmm. out of the gate. And like this year we saw like obviously slower finish times than historically um, for a variety of reasons, but like they ran smart from the gun. And like, I think Chris Myers race, for example, like he was sticking with Joe and Joe runs very smart always. And like, he knew what he was doing. And I think Chris knew what he was doing by sticking with somebody like Joe who runs smart at Bandera. So yeah, I, I just think we're seeing people run more like within themselves and like with a better mindset than just like gunning it. And that's making our jobs as commentators harder. Yeah, we can't like predict carnage anymore. I know I'm, I'm wrong. More often well, and, and they're like all through in five minutes. <laughs> these, these like mid race predictions that I'm, have thought I've generally been pretty good at like assessing like that Chris Myers is going to close those gaps in the last 10 miles. Like, um, yeah, I thought the same mm-hmm. thing about, about Brian Curl. Um, he was just on an absolute tear leaving equestrian on, on the second loop coming at, coming back out of like some lows that he had earlier. I thought he was about to close almost all the gaps ahead of him. Uh, I'm starting mm-hmm. to be wrong a lot more about those kinds of things, <laughs> which is cool. That means the sport is evolving. It's maturing. Um, I, I really wanted to talk about like, I, I just love what Jeff Colt is doing in in this sport right now. Um, this was the the second time in two, I guess two months that I had the pleasure of uh, observing him race up close and personal, both at Worlds in in Thailand and now now Bandera, and uh, just like seeing kind of his composure and his poise like before the race, in the early miles of the race, like he's working hard and I think he, I think he's really learning where his limits are and where his lines are. Um, and to see him do that on two courses that are so vastly different between the the world championships, 80 K in Thailand, which was extremely mountainous and the really, really runnable fast, you know, eight minute pace, hundred K in Bandera. Um, really cool to see how focused and calculated, um, he is, he's not really responding much to like cheers and stuff like that. Like when my energy out on the course, um, but uh, man, he puts it together and then like, you know, he's the first person to come up to me, find me at the finish line and thank me for like the energy out there. So, um, you know, you know, he's receiving it, you know, he's, he's feeling it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but it, it's awesome to see, to see him focus and, and to see him put it together for the win out there and, and really work the field. Uh, that was really, really impressive. Two things that stuck out to me and I regret not talking about this with you, Brett Moore in the studio and Yuli in the field. I was surprised that Canyon Woodward overtook Chris Myers in those last three miles because the last drone shot that we got on Chris Myers 
He had that Walmsley bounce going. He was looked engaged, just ready to finish strong. And, you know, Canyon had led from the gun and was slowly fading. But man, that guy mm. stuck with it in the second half. And that was super impressive to me. So that was, the yeah, that was thing. very impressive. Yeah. I think um, too, like it's rare that we see somebody go out and lead a race, fall back, come back, fall back, come back again. Like we usually, like, I mean, I was discounting Canyon like after equestrian, I was like, okay, in the top eight, he probably looks like he's going to die more than the others. And then he goes on to finish third and that's amazing. I think he had like a two and a half, maybe three minute lead at like nachos on the first, like, mm-hmm. like mile 16. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was he the one with the jacked up Achilles? No, that was Brian Curl. That was Brian. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I guess like on the women's side, we haven't really touched much on their races, but like that was so much was happening in that one. Like from Boyles, we saw, we saw somebody go with Courtney at Boyles. We saw Catherine Short, who said in her uh, Chasing Gold interview that she was going to run a conservative first lap and then see like what she had on the second lap, go out with Courtney. And I just remember thinking like, oh, okay. And, but then like dialed it back. Like, cause then we didn't see, she wasn't within minutes of Courtney at the next aid station. So that's an interesting strategy, you know? So if somebody goes with Courtney, kind of lets Courtney do her thing, but then like just the shakeup of the field throughout the day, like I feel like at every aid station there, besides Courtney, there was a different two, three, and four mm-hmm. at every single aid station throughout the day. And I'd want to go back and like fact check that it's probably false, but like it was shuffling all day long. No, that's totally yeah, true. It was yeah. amazing. It was, it was all over the place. You know, every time. Yeah. Like, the Courtney would come through and like, well, yeah, the women's race had two races going on. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, two races going on. I was just like, how fast is Courtney going to run? And then who the hell is getting the second golden ticket? Mm. And even through the last aid station, we still didn't know for sure if it was going to be Nicole because like two, three, four, five, again, kind of like Leah, you had said like, like, like no one looks bad. Yeah. Like everyone's still very motivated and clearly racing at this point. Like nobody's even in survival mode. They're hammering. And then seeing, you know, that that the camera angles uh that we were watching from the finish was really cool. So we had a drone coming in for almost the last half mile. And by a by the when the men were coming in, we couldn't tell how much distance they had left but then by the time the women were coming we were like okay when they round this turn they're about to hit the blue hoka beacons Mm -hmm. when they hit the first blue hoka beacon they have about a quarter mile left and then they were spread out equally so then you could really see how fast people were going we're like okay like this is how much space is left and then and then it was like dude these people are hammering Mm -hmm. like they're running so hard and then you know to, to cap off you know amanda basham like throwing down and say the 60 second quarter at the end was yeah, it was insane. And it made for such an exciting race all the way through, you know, all the way through fifth. Yeah, it's amazing. If you look at her Strava, um, she has like the crown for like the last half mile there, which the 25 K share that segment, the 50 K shares mm-hmm. that segment, the hundred K shares that segment. And she ran it like freaking five forty seven pace for, the last half Let's mile, go. which is bonkers. And like, if you check out her Strava for the last 10 miles of the race, it was, 
I don't know what happened to her at mile 50, but something happened. And it went from just like steady all day ultra pace to just like I am turning it on and I'm hammering. And yeah, she flew to the finish from there. And I think ended up beating Catherine short by like 45 seconds. So yeah, really, really fun women's race. And then yeah, Nicole Bitter with the second place finish just running dialed all day long. Super smart race. Moving up. It was that was really, really fun to watch. I know that it was a I know that it was a fourth place finish for Amanda Basham, which is probably not the place she wanted. Like she said outright in the pre-race interview, she wanted a golden ticket. That was her goal. But I feel like those last 10 miles are kind of like a physical demonstration of, you know, quote unquote, I'm back. And Mm -hmm. maybe this is like a sign that, you know, we could see a return to form from like 2019, 2018 pre-family exciting times in my opinion amanda basham is yeah i mean it's one of my favorite stories from uh from saturday Mm -hmm. uh she she has not run that far since western states in like june of 2018 i think um i think i'm right about that um first ultra as a mother of two children and i and i think she did speed goat a couple years ago when her first daughter was was maybe like six months old or so um so to see her and, and also just observing her throughout the race on the ground, like it seemed like she was working. I don't know for this for sure, but it seemed like she was kind of working through some stuff kind of like kind of the whole day um, when she came into the Chapas aid station at mile like 20 um, just was kind of watching her talk to, to her husband, Justin, who was crewing her and um, kind of looked just stressed about something a little bit, um, but took her time and seemed composed and got back out there. Um, I heard a couple rumors, maybe second or third hand that, that there were maybe some kind of physical things that she was working through. I, I don't know for sure. So I won't share them, but, um, in any case, just kind of had the impression that she was working through some stuff. Um, and then on top of that, just like, yeah, her, her longest run in so many years, uh, first ultra marathon after having her second child to see her hammer the last 10 miles like that fourth place finish collapse to the ground and then about two minutes later have both of her daughters in her, in her arms and, and kind of taking care of them. Like one of the, like has to be the coolest story from the day. Yeah. I think I had was commented on something today. It was like one of the coolest things seeing her sprint at like five thirty pace across the finish line. And then within a minute have like both kids plop, plop, <laughs> plopped on top of her. And she's got her arms around both. Like, that is just amazing. Um, yeah. Just really cool day. And I think another one was a uh, Kareth Arnold who got third place who, um, yeah, I just had an incredible day, moved up all day. I was paced by Lottie Brinks out there, who I think is her sister-in-law. And it has some wheels. And, like, second she crossed the finish line, her daughter came up and gave her a big hug. And when I was chatting with her on the, like, finish line microphone, I was chatting, like, oh, like, how'd your day go? And she's like, yeah, my daughter was, t- like, taking all my snacks at the aid station. And I was like, man, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the hurdles that you don't even think about. Um, yeah, so just a really, really cool day all around. One more person, and I forgot to mention him from the men's race. I want to make sure I, I get him in here, Ryan Atkins. So early on in the race, it looked like he was hovering around like 11th, 12th, 13th place. I wondered, is this just going to be an off day from the get-go? Because I feel like he's an aggressive guy, and he wants to be in the mix. Turns out he had the second smallest positive split in the second half after Jeff Colt closed really well, I think finished in 6th or 7th. And that's not spectacular, but I want to bring him up because he is a prominent OCR athlete. And I love people who are willing to cross over sports, bring their audiences with them and throw some light on our sport race, like Bandera golden ticket race. So wanted to make sure we included him because, uh, 
ended up having a strong day and uh, one of the many models out on the was, course too. I was about Frequently to say, he ended up great. in fifth place and I think Mike got his first GQ uh, like That's front right. cover photo. <laughs> yeah, I'm sending that in. Yeah, <laughs> so mm. uh, he had coming out of Chapas at mile uh, like 52 on, on the second lap. He asked me, again, I was just like kind of jogging out with him and and uh, he he asked me like, how am I doing? Like, like uh, do you know what place I'm in? Um, and I kind of started thinking about it, like thinking about the people ahead of him in my head. And he's like, like top 10. I'm like, Oh yeah, dude. Like I think like five or six, like, and, and yeah, I think he was in fifth at the time, right. And finished fifth. Um, so yeah, kind of cool. I, I think that he maybe had a little bit of a injury or like a fall or something earlier on. Maybe yeah, that, I think he like sprained an ankle early on. Yeah. He was leading in the boils actually. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Maybe, maybe that helped him. I don't know. <laughs> you know, maybe it helped them kind of take a step back in, in some of that, the middle kind of first lap miles. Maybe final talking point on the storylines is how we forecast these golden ticket winners at Western States this year. So on the women's side, Nicole Bitter, Courtney DeWalter on the men's side, Jeff Colt and JP Giblin. Um, as of right now, Jeff Colt is taking his ticket. It remains to be seen by May 1st, what he'll do with it. But, I think as of right now, Jeff has his ticket and JP Gillen has it. So that's that's on paper what it is on the men's side. Yeah, I'm curious. So I'm excited. I think Courtney, she talked about on your pre-race interview, Finn, what she's aiming for this year. And man, I what I respect the most about Courtney is, I mean, she's an amazing person. Anybody that ever doubts Courtney is a buffoon. <laughs> And she's, I mean, she's just an amazing person all around. And like the things she accomplishes are just next level. So Finn's a buffoon. Finn is a buffoon. Yes, exactly. Transitive property. But like buffoon. Her ability to like, her ability to go to the well, regardless of like what her goals are or like what she's aiming for that day, are just amazing. Like, for example, like she probably didn't have her best race ever at Bandera. And like she didn't really have anybody pushing her from directly behind. So she could probably, you know, cruise into a sub nine hour finish for a course record, which is incredible. No, like nobody has ever done that before. And like she showed mm. that she was human too, and having a pretty large positive split on her second lap. Um, yeah. But like mm-hmm. just imagining her Western States this year when she says, okay, she wants to double Western States hard rock, knowing that she will go to the well at Western States and then like see how much she has left in her to go to the well at Hard Rock. I think we're about to see like two of the best performances of all time in ultra running this year. So really, really excited to see that. Really excited to see Nicole Bitter return for her, I don't know, eighth Western States. Is it, is it that many? I don't know. There's a lot. Wow. I might be making that up. It's a lot. Um, but yeah, she's just been in the top 10 many times and is really impressive and just consistent. So she knows how to run in the heat. She says she loves running the heat and something that I was telling some of the people who were running, um, Bandera this weekend were like the people who like actually were looking forward to the course and like enjoy the heat, enjoy the conditions, enjoy the difficulties were the people that were going to do the best at Bandera. And I think that's the type of person that Nicole is, is she was looking at Bandera as like something she enjoyed. Whereas, like, I'm sure she'll approach Western States in the same way that, like, she's welcoming those conditions and the tough environment. And I think that's when you succeed. She knows what she's doing out there. Yeah. And that really showed this weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, 
just, yeah, I'm, I'm going to need to spend some more time trying to figure out like when we throw out times of like, what is Courtney going to run at Western States? Like, I don't want to say anything too stupid, but I also don't want to say anything too slow. <laughs> um, so I'm, yeah, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. I mean, Nicole ran a super smart race and getting to execute a race plan like that, you know, I don't know if she's going to do any other races between now and Western States, but, you know, just having this year, you know, having like one really good one where it's like just a well-executed race plan, like that goes so far into the next race. Uh, so just having that confidence that it's like, okay, if I just go and do my thing, it will create the best result. And, you know, for the caliber runner that she is like, you know, that that's going to be, you know, pretty far up the field. Um, I need to do a little bit more learning on JP at Gibling because he ran great race and I just, I don't know nearly enough, uh, about him and you know, what his like, history is like, and especially, you know, on something like a Western state style course. Um, so that's exciting to just have that new, new talent, you know, at this, at this point, you know, we were kind of talking about this too, and maybe we'll get into this on a later episode is like the caliber of runner that you have to be these days to get a golden ticket and just the level of talent that you possess as a runner. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's only going to get more competitive. So when, when we have these people that, you know, are names that we haven't, you know, maybe commented on a ton in the past, moving their way up into this realm of golden ticket talks and, you know, running Western States, you know, it's like pretty much anyone who gets a golden ticket where they're automatically into, you know, top 10 type talks you know, um, Jeff was the dreaded 11th <laughs> last year. Um, I feel like has already approved so much as a racer uh, since that Western States. I feel like that Western States was almost eye-opening to him of like, dang, yeah, that was amazing. Like, I can't believe I was able to try that hard for that long. And then, you know, that led to Worlds and has now led to this Bandera. So I think like, like the new Jeff Colt has arrived and I'm really excited to see what he does uh, this year at States if he does, in fact, start the race. If he races and I, and he has the day I think he's capable of, I would put him in the same category as Drew Holman, Tyler Green, mm-hmm. Stephen Kirsch. Like like a good day would be under 16 hours. He races so slow. Yeah, I think he's got that. And yeah. I think that was my, one of my biggest takeaways of the day was like, I think you guys had asked me at some point, like, what was something you weren't expecting to happen today? And it was, I was expecting Jeff Colt to move like steadily up the field. And yes, he did by the end of the day, but like he made this drastic move from like 11th place to third place or so between like mile 20 and like the 50K mark, which I was not expecting. And when I talked to him afterwards, I was like, Jeff, what the heck were you doing? And he's like, oh, yeah, I just had John Reyes splits on my arm. And I was just going off of what he did last year. So, <laughs> like, I realized I was – he said, I did that exactly. So he must have pushed pretty hard there. So I just did exactly what he was doing. And, like, that's a pretty ballsy move. Like, I – like, if I just don't think I would do that. And that's really cool that it ends up working out for him because that was one of the most surprising things was, like, never in a million years did I expect to see him roll through the halfway point in – third, second or third place, whatever he was at that point. Um, And then to see him, Mm -hmm. and I think that's something he's learned, like we talked about this, but like he's learning where that line is this year is like, okay, I can push to this point. And then, okay, how do I hold that? And 
obviously he did mm-hmm. no problem to the finish then. And also he's, I think he was sick a little bit leading up to this race and, and same with Western States last year. Like those are two really, really strong performances with yeah. maybe a, a, a less than ideal in terms of like physical health coming into the race. So. Yeah, that's just, that's just, thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, let us, I just want it to be known that I, I did pick Jeff Colt to win the race on fantasy hey. free, free trail. And like, well before the so race, um, we got a text from him like maybe a couple hours after the race finished. And he just said, Brett, that one was for you. <laughs> Heart face emoji. Finn, you're dead. To me. <laughs> so is Leah. No faith. So thank you, Jeff, for acknowledging that. I guess maybe he listened to the preview episode or something. So, oh. I mean, yeah, I have, I have no problem taking most of the credit for his hey, win. We, we should announce here in public that Brett had probably your best performance ever on fantasy free trail this weekend. Was it? Yep. Yeah. It was probably my first time not being in triple yeah. digits. Brett, Brett was 20th and I, Finn, I don't think you had I got 20th. Yours, did you? No, I did. Oh, where were you then? But it wouldn't, it wouldn't, oh, it you didn't even been. should. You DNF? <laughs> Is that possible? Maybe they just didn't even list mine because they were so bad. <laughs> they probably didn't. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't have my best showing, but yeah, Brett came out on top. Yeah, finally got one. Finally got one. You know, one more thing about... uh, It's all part of the new me, 2023. (laughs) One more thing about the golden ticket, these golden ticket winners coming to Western States, just talking about Courtney. I think it's not unreasonable to say that like there have never been conditions at Western States that Courtney like couldn't course record this year. Like at this point in in her in her running ultra yeah. career, like regardless, yeah. like we don't even have to worry about you know the heat, the snow, whatever. Like whatever it is, it's like it's a course record watch if Courtney's on the starting line this year. Yeah, like snow year, hundred and five degrees, hundred and ten <laughs> degrees in the canyons. Courtney DeWalter is still course record eligible. Yeah, and like I I was telling Mike this this weekend, like she's doing it right, and like she's setting herself up well, like. Bandera was, it's not an easy course. It was hot. She had to deal with conditions and the, yeah, the train's not easy. So she's getting that stimulus. Now she's going to trans grand Canaria or late February, early March, which is tough and has all the weather and very difficult mm-hmm. conditions. And so probably learning like even more about cooling herself and the things that work for that style of race. So I feel like she's going to have a really, really good and, like pretty ideal build up to Western States this year too. There were a lot of people in this field that were obviously aiming for a golden ticket. They didn't get it. Are you making any predictions as to whether they will sign up for black Canyon or Tarawera or the Canyons hundred K later this spring? Yeah, I think um, a couple that just come to mind is Ryan Montgomery. He signed up for Tarawera and I think he ended up DNFing around mile 50 or so chop us. I think last time through. Yeah, just before Chapman's. Um, yeah, and he's been planning to head to Tarawera for most of this year, and I think that race really caters to his skill set well. Um, and then on the women's side, I think Catherine Short is signed up for um, Black Canyon. And, okay. I mean, Black Canyon, I just glanced at that entrance list the other day. That is looking so stacked, and I'm really excited to for our preview episode for that one. Um, but I'd imagine some of these people will um, – I can't imagine, like, I don't really know if Kareth Arnold, I think she, like, has run Bandera the last couple of years. I think, like, third place, I don't think she would go to Black Canyon, but I could see somebody like Catherine Short, Sarah Bergeron, LaRouche, 
people in that. Mm. And Amanda Basham, I'd be, I really want to know what she's yeah. doing next because I would love to see her mix it up with something mm. like Canyons. I think yeah. she did make an Instagram post today. Like she's already thinking about what's next, like nice. planning the next race. So Well, and I think she actually nice. ran Tarawera a couple years back. That'd be really cool if she mm. like turned it around fast and did something like that. Brett and I were hypothesizing what happens to folks that didn't even get to the start line due to injury or something else. Like, will Tim Tollefson, for example, continue the golden ticket pursuit mm-hmm. somewhere else? Or does he maybe do something to align with UTMB? Mm-hmm. It's very interesting to me. I think he should do canyons. I'd love to see him do that. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Tim, that, I mean, that would be, that'd be a great course for Tim's, you know, strengths, which are, pretty much all things running actually. Oh, I do think on the women's side, Becca Wendell, um, she beat me at Canyons by like 10 Mm -hmm. seconds, two years ago. And I saw her, she was signed up for Bandera. Um, and she's back on the Canyons entrance list. So I'm really excited to see her come to a finish line healthy. Super cool. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's actually another person. Um, big props to Alexi Pappas for (laughs) finishing that hundred K and getting 12th. Um, yeah, I mean, very, very talented runner, you know, went to the Rio games, represented Greece. I I'm curious what she thinks a few days removed from this hundred K in regards to like what the experience was like. Do you want to do it again? You know, just, yeah, just curious what, what she now thinks of, of this side of the sport as yeah. she's ventured like, her, very far into it now at this if you point follow her on instagram she seemed to really enjoy the cuisine at the aid stations and, <laughs> and uh obviously was a really uh a really energetic and like active uh kind of participant in the race and and like seemed to build a lot of relationships with the aid station volunteers and the other runners and, and i think really had a good time um yeah it was really cool to see us so she was i think initially signed up for the 100k then to the 50k and then mm-hmm. the day before the race, signed back up for the 100K or signed up for the at 100K. At like 5 p.m. At 5 p.m. Yeah. It's like, I think I want to run this. All my ultra teammates are running this. I want to do this too. So I was like, I think I can do this. And yeah, night before. So. Yeah, you are a talented runner if you can do right? that. Oh, wait. And Mike should share his. Like that's, that's straight up impressive. <laughs> share what she said the night before. <laughs> I I was actually really curious. I, I because I, I met Alexi, uh, yeah, the evening before the race, like at, at check-in and, and yeah, I was just kind of chatting with her about her experience with trail running and like what she was kind of thinking for this hundred K that she now just, she just doubled her distance that she was going to be running the next day. Like what was going through her head, race strategy, exit, like where does she expect to kind of see herself? Um, and she did, she did tell me that she was, maybe just going to ask Courtney if she could just run right behind her and see what happens. Um, which like, you know, I kind of walked away from that conversation thinking like she very well might do that. And she is, you know, the, the, a good enough athlete, like that's probably not out of the question for her to give that a shot. And like, that might mean she goes running away ahead of Courtney, like in the last 10 miles, or maybe it means the exact opposite of that. Like, I don't know. Um, I think her, her presence at the race was, was a really, it was a really, really positive energy. Um, I think it brought a, a lot of really cool visibility too to this, to the race and to the event, to, to maybe a little bit of a new audience. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's really, like you said, really impressive. 
it, it was an interesting dynamic. Like had no idea what was going to happen, where she was going to be, um, you know, it, come, come the finish line and, and to see her, to see her stick it out, enjoy the aid stations, enjoy the experience. Yeah. 12th place. And so, I just mm-hmm. wanted to publicly apologize to Travis Longcar because I feel like I've taken him on a roller coaster for the last week when I was like initially like hey, Travis, Lexi's <laughs> running the hundred K. And then I was like, just kidding. She's running the 50 K. And then the night before the race, I was like, Travis, I am so sorry. Alexi is running the hundred K. And then he's like, news alert. So I, yeah, I really took it for a ride last week. Well, on the subject of famous people, and I promise this is a quick story, you know, when Alex Honnold did that 50K a couple of weeks back, I think he said in his Instagram post that it's not something he's interested in doing ever again, but like a classic ultra run, he posted that a day after the race, three or four days later, I heard secondhand, he's like reinvigorated by trail running, wants to like dive even deeper into it. So um, classic ultra runner syndrome post-race, right? So I wonder if Alexia will have the same experience and, uh, this is the first of many. I hope so. This has been super fun guys. Mike, pleasure to have you on. Hopefully this is also the first of many with you. Any final thoughts from any folks before we, uh, sign off? I mean, that was, that was, I mean, such a fun weekend. I mean, definitely something I'll never forget. That's for sure. Um, yeah. And I hope, I hope there's, I hope there's more of that and I hope that, you know, we can continue to, you know, really just boost this sport and help it grow. Um, hopefully in all the best ways. Yeah. I think uh, Mike posted on his Instagram story yesterday of us both with a margarita in San Antonio saying like they, <laughs> that those margaritas felt like our golden tickets of the weekend. And like they did, it was a long <laughs> weekend and just like enjoying the downtime after that was incredible. And yeah, hopefully we get another opportunity to do this because I just think we, we learned so much and like, I'd also be interested in learning from those of you who were watching it and engaging with it, like areas we could improve because I know we obviously were very imperfect on the day and there's so many, so many areas that we could do better. So yeah, I'd just be interested in hearing more about that. Awesome. Well, thanks again, guys. Such a pleasure to hang with you all weekend and yeah, to echo it all. Hope we can do it again. Thanks for listening. Before we sign off, if you are a fan of the show, please consider supporting us with a rating and a review in your podcast player, a donation on Patreon, or the use of our sponsored discount codes in the show notes. We really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you have been listening to the Single Track Podcast.